0: morning, church. Wish I could be there with you this morning. We're down in Wilmington, and we're with Brandon and Katrina Hanks. That's the pastor couple who we prayed for last week. Uh, I just ask that you guys be praying for us down here. God has done great stuff in our church, and we want to give that blessing to other churches as well. Pray that God would continue to bless other churches. So pray for us as we're down here, and pray for uh, Wilmington Church of the Brethren this Sunday. Uh, I didn't want to be completely absent, though, from Parker Ford today because I'm so excited about this series We're talking about hearing the voice of God, and that's an exciting thing when in any relationship communication is so key, and if we're going to have a great relationship with God, then we need to be able to hear God's voice, right? And so that's what we're talking about in this series is learning to hear the voice of God, and anytime that someone wants to hear the voice of God, one of the key things that I ask people is, how's your imagination? And the reason is because we live by faith, not by sight, according to Second Corinthians, and Faith, according to Hebrews, is the essence of things unseen and the presence of things hoped for. So if I live by faith and if I I know God by faith, that means that I got to be able to see things that I can't see with my eyes, hear things that I can't hear with my ears. And that is what imagination is all about. Imagination is being able to create in my head and create in my mind this place where I can imagine something, see something that I'm not seeing with these eyes and with these ears. And, you know, in our visual culture, the the media does this for us all the time. It paints pictures for us. And sometimes we get a little weak in our imagination because it's easy to depend on, on others to have imagination for us. And what God is saying to us, I believe, um, if we want to hear his voice, is that we're not being entertained by the voice of God. And he's not just doing monologue with us. He wants a conversation with us. So we have to enter into that realm where we can imagine stuff a little deeper than just what we see with our eyes and just what we hear. That's faith. You know, when it comes to my lifestyle, obedience in faith means that I would do this. This is what would make sense to me. But God's saying doing this. So I'm going to go ahead and trust God with what he says I should be doing instead of what I say I should be doing because that's faith. When it comes to hearing God's voice, I can listen to all the things around me or look at all the things around me. But i got to dig a little deeper to engage God's voice, to interact with him spiritually. And I have to learn to develop my imagination so let me give you this. This is uh, one uh, verse that I need to share with you. It's in First Chronicles 28.9, and God's talking to Solomon. And he says, you, Solomon, my son, you have to know God, the God of your father and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts, and he understands all the imaginations of the thoughts. What's the imaginations behind your thoughts? What does it mean to imagine your thoughts? God's given you logic, and that's awesome. You open up the scriptures, you read it, you try to figure out what it says. That's awesome. I want to challenge you this week to not just think thoughts about what the scripture says, but to imagine the scriptures. And when you pray, don't just pray and then kind of wait, maybe someday God will write something on the wall for me. No, engage the imagination and imagine what Jesus is saying back to you. Imagine what Jesus would say if he was speaking. It doesn't mean that whatever you imagine is God, but it does mean that you open yourself up to experience things and see things that you might not otherwise. There's one time, and I just want to tell you this quick story. There's this one time where Jen and I were praying. And uh, I, I, for some reason, I just decided to ask her, hey, what were you thinking about? She's like, I wasn't really thinking about anything. I'm like, what were you, just like nothing? And she's like, well, I was picturing something. And I was like, Ah, what are you picturing? And she said, well, I'm actually picturing that uh, I was sitting on the lap of God. And I started laughing. I'm like, what? I'm like, what's the lap of God like? Like, what is it? You know, and she starts describing God to me. And God starts communicating to me. Honestly, he starts encouraging my heart by the picture that she's painting in her imagination. She thought it was nothing, just her imagination. But God was really uh, shaping her imagination through her understanding of God through the scriptures in a way that could communicate to me. If you want to see God move, one of the things that we have to work on is developing the imagination. Joshua's going to come, and he's going to talk a little more about what that looks like to develop imagination in our interaction with God. I
1: love Parker Ford Church. I don't know if you know that. I really like this place. And one of the reasons why I was first attracted to it, I started attending Parker Ford Church when I was um, 23. It was March of to 1999 uh, and I started attending here as a, as a young guy and part of it was because some of the things that were happening in my life were things that I saw happening in the leadership of Parker Ford Church when I talked in ways that uh, just kind of worked for me and God was moving in my life it was this kind of interesting thing where people at Parker Ford when I joined this church they said yeah we've had that too. And this morning is a little bit about that. And if you're from outside of this church or if you're from any number of different traditions, what we're talking about today is a little bit strange. You know, uh, Tim, I want to summarize what he showed us in that video with just these words, and and we'll just read them. It says, to hear things not audible to the ear and see things not visible to the eye. When people hear things that are not audible or see things that are not visible, what do we say about those people? I hear a lot of different things. Some of you said crazy, right? Somebody said those people are crazy, and it can be. We're going to read a passage of scripture at the end of this message from 1 John, which it says, honestly, when you start working in the spiritual realm, there's more than one spirit. You can actually go off the deep end, and you can end up hearing other things, and you can see other things, and those things won't be good, and they won't be helpful, and they will do bad things instead of good things. They're not following the will of God. They're following the will of whatever else is out there. That's potentially dangerous. But there's also the potential that we miss God if we completely miss this and Tim read that great passage from Corinthians about the fact that we need to look and see Hebrews 11:1 says faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not you want to say it see right faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see and without faith it's impossible to please God and so when you walk into this kind of thing where you say okay we need to hear things that are not audible, and see things that are not visible, there's a couple different possibilities. One has to begin to use this imagination in order for this to work. Without it, there is no ability for deep faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so this is maybe, I don't know where you come from, but a little bit of a scary morning for you uh, as we talk about what God wants to do in our imagination and how he's always used the imagination. One of the things that surprised me when I really started to read the word of God is how much the people of the scriptures depended on their imagination. If you begin the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament and read the first three chapters, you if you don't use your imagination, you will never get the point. If you don't read Revelation with your eyes as Paul writes, the eyes of your heart opened and you start to kind of go, oh, I need to picture this. Not just hear it, but I need to picture it inside of here. There need to be images that flood my soul from the, what John saw. If you don't see that, then you're missing the point of revelation. You can go through all sorts of passages of scripture like this, right? A good storyteller. Why do we like good storytellers? Anybody listen to Garrison Keeler? Ever, you ever have one of those people? Jim Holland likes Garrison Keeler? We, we like storytellers in our culture. Why is that? My kids love it when I say, okay, tonight is story night. We're going to sit on the couch and I'm going to tell you a story. And one of the things my dad taught me, he was a great storyteller, and he told me, taught me all of these stories when I was a kid. And it was one of my favorite things as a young guy. Well, well, the reason why is because my imagination was grabbed by these stories, right? The scriptures are just full of them. At one point, David blows it. King David in the Old Testament, he really messes up, right? You know this story. And there's a prophet named Nathan who comes to him, lesser known. Nobody knows Nathan, but everybody knows David. And Nathan tells David a story. He tells him a story about a sheep. And he starts to try to use David's imagination. And he gets David so invested in the story that it's about an unjust guy who steals somebody else's sheep. He says, that man will die. That's what David says. And then Nathan says, you are that man because you stole somebody's wife not just their sheep right if you remember that story and he grabs David's imagination and he indicts the king of Israel using his own words and using his imagination God has done this for thousands and thousands of years and he hasn't stopped doing it and some of us wish he would let me read you a couple passages of scripture that talk about it The first of these is going to be one of those passages you probably haven't read. It's coming from Numbers 10, and I'm just going to read excerpts of this chapter. It's it's a longer story. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people. These are people who stand out as leadership oriented. Everybody looks to them and respects them and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. That's the tabernacle, okay? So God meets with Moses in the tent of meeting, and these 70 elders are supposed to gather around it. And I will come down and talk with you there. That's something that's happened before. Moses is constantly referenced as being the man God speaks to as a man speaks to his friend. In fact, at one point in Numbers, it says God actually tells these other people who are standing up against Moses, aren't you afraid to stand up against Moses? Because, you know, I speak to prophets and visions and dreams, but I speak to Moses as a man speaks to his friend face to face. And it's in this tabernacle or in this tent of meeting where God does that. So Moses and God would meet, but now they're inviting other people to be a part of this. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you, And it's really hard to tell whether that should be a big S or a little S, right? Because quite honestly, every human being has a spirit, but none of us are the Holy Spirit. There's a real difference between that, you know? We went to a, a conference yesterday, a bunch of us, and the guy was talking about the fact that squirrels never ask why. You ever notice this? I watched this squirrel have his life just narrowly, uh, saved this morning by the fact that the, the car in front of me was going just slow enough that that squirrel ran across the street, and it got to the other side of the street, and it was going into that cemetery where Bobby Gogger is buried, if you know Bobby. And, and was, it went up there, and, and, and you could just kind of see that squirrel actually pulled its tail up, and I think that tail would have gotten it from the tire in front of me. You know what I'm saying? That car in front of me. And, and when the squirrel got off the side of the road, it, that's what we call a near-death experience, right? a near death experience and what do you think that squirrel's next thought was not why you know when people go through near death experiences often they say why am i here god you saved me thank you let me tell me what i'm going to do now with my life that squirrel said where's the next nut that's it <laughs> and you know what it was saying before it had that near death experience where's the next nut that's it. That's all that squirrel has. And you know why? Is because that squirrel doesn't have a spirit. It does have a brain. You can biologically, you know, find that thing if you if you take apart a squirrel, it's there, but we don't have spirits if we're not human beings and if we're not God and if we're not there's there's three classes of beings that have spirits angels, God, and us. That's it. And all of those animals out there, they they don't have spirits. And if you wonder about that, the Bible never says they do. So, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you, Moses, and I will put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. It goes on. And Moses gathered these 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud, just like he said, and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on Moses and put it on the 70 elders. He's diversifying authority, right? Everybody is centered on Moses' leadership. Nobody can do anything. And there's about 600,000 men in Israel at this point, 600,000 people. And Moses is in charge of every one of them. Do you know, you wonder 600,000 people, they probably got in a few fights, right? And who had to solve those fights? I have three children. I will tell you, it's busy. Three. Six hundred thousand. Moses was busy, and he couldn't handle it all, and so God's giving him help. And as soon as the Spirit rested on these other 70 elders, they prophesied. That means their imagination somehow got under God's authority, and they spoke from that, but they did not continue doing it. It was a one-time thing, and they stopped. That was it. But they had this moment with the Spirit of God that validated all of these other leaders and said, listen, I'm not going to just lead Moses now. I'm going to lead a group of people, and these group of people are going to lead the nation of Israel. Do you follow how that works? Now, watch what happens next. This is important. Now, two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other Medad, and the spirit rested on them as well. You know, every pastor's worst nightmare is if we really got the spirit of God going here this morning, and there's one or two people, who knows who they are, I don't even want to think about it, that just said this morning, I'd rather sleep than be at Parker Ford Church. And we really get you know going, and, and God's moving in here, and we have a great experience, and God decides that those people, though they're in bed someplace, still get blessed. That's a terrible thing. Because, I mean, you've got to get here to get this, right? I want you to be here because I'm speaking to you, and I've worked at this, and we've worked all week on this, and we've filmed a video, and we've Michael and Shelby and Dave and Liz have worked on music, and we've got all this stuff. And if, they can, if you could just sit at home and get the benefit of church, That'd be terrible. Nothing could be worse. With the internet, people are trying it these days, and I'm scared to death of it, right? That's every pastor's worst nightmare. Well, watch, because I'm, of course, being slightly ironic. They were among those registered, this me dad and Eldad, but they had not gone out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. They stayed in bed, and God still blessed them. That's not right. Seventy elders called, 68 show up, and two of them, stay at home and the spirit of God still works and a young man ran and told Moses Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp this just sounds like Noah in my house my third child who's telling on the other ones you know 600,000 kids Moses is in charge of and he can't hardly handle it so God's giving him help and before he can quite get the help off the ground the help messes up And one of the kids of Israel says, listen, these people have messed up. They didn't even show up. And they were called by God to show up, and they didn't. And yet they're prophesying, and the Spirit of God is moving in the camp. And Joshua, the guy who's going to replace Moses, the second in command in Israel, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. It's a great line. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Moses isn't jealous. He's not wondering about those people. He's just would that everybody walked with God. One of the things that is, we have all sorts of questions about the church in our day, right? Things work and things don't work, and there's all this different stuff. But I'll say that one of the things that I think Tim and I really strongly agree on and the history of Parker Ford Church agrees with is this this doctrine that you probably don't hear about that much, but it's called the priesthood of all believers. You've heard me talk about it, right? You don't actually need me to get to God. You don't need the pastor of this church to be the priest in between you and God. You can actually pray without me ever knowing you prayed, and God listens to you. He doesn't listen to me. Frankly, I, don't, I sometimes think God doesn't listen to pastors as much as he does some of the people in a church. We need everybody praying, right? And it starts all the way back here when there's one guy who's leading everything. He's the chief priest, chief prophet, chief everything for Israel at this moment, Moses, and God works with him so absolutely amazingly. You remember, there's a, the Red Sea has parted in these people's history, and there are 10 plagues that have poured out on Pharaoh, and he has led them free from all of this different stuff through this one man, Moses. They are what psychologists call codependent on this guy. Without him, they're going, what happens? At one point, he disappears for a few weeks. And the Bible says they're ashamed. They don't even know how how to go on without Moses. And God's answer to that is to diversify what he's doing in Moses and start to pour it out on other people. That's something that doesn't just stop there. It's almost a prayer. In fact, I think it is a prayer that keeps going for generations because Moses is saying here, would that God would move in every person, not just in Tim or in Josh or in the elders of Parker Ford Church or in the deacons or in the Sunday school teachers, but would that every person would walk with God for themselves. Would that that would happen. Moses prayed that. You know how many years ago that was? Three millenniums, four centuries. That's a long time ago. At the end of the Old Testament, there's this prophet, and his name is Joel, and there are the, there's this prophecy about some things happening. And you've got to understand this story in order to understand that one. He writes this, And it shall come to pass afterward that it will pour out my spirit on all flesh. How many of you are just absolutely scandalized that this writer wrote this? You're not, right? It's not a big surprise that God would bring his spirit to people in a church, that he would actually invest himself in our lives prophetically and uniquely and imaginatively because you believe that God has called you as well as called me. And that's a good thing. But wait, you've got to understand the context. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions, even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. You know, it's really something that Moses is a leader. And then it's something that there are 70 other men called. But they didn't call any women. And they sure didn't call any slaves. And there were probably a group of people that were in the senior citizen tent on the edge of Israel. Those are the people that were, they couldn't, you had to kind of carry them and help them through because they were 70, 80, 90 years of age, right? And those people, God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on them. I'm going to pour out my spirit on the foreigners and on the people who are slaves amongst you. Slaves were generally not Israelites. And I'm going to pour out my spirit even on the women. Today that doesn't sound so shocking, but when Moses or when Joel wrote it, people would have been absolutely astounded. There's a couple of stories in the New Testament we won't take the time to read, but you might remember them in Acts two. The church is born with the Spirit flowing into a room with the disciples waiting. And there are these tongues of flame on everybody's head, and they start to speak in tongues. And the Spirit of God moves in them, and they go out and they start preaching in all of these different languages. And it's the day of Pentecost, which means there's this, or the feast of Pentecost, which means there's people of all sorts of different culture groups gathered in Israel. And they were hearing God speak through these men in their own tongues. And somebody says, maybe these disciples are just drunk, drunk and disorderly. And Peter stands up and says, let me tell you, I don't think we're drunk. I think, in fact, nobody here is drinking. Actually, it's the spirit of God. And you should know this because Moses prayed a prayer that Joel predicted would someday be answered. Would that all the people of Israel had the spirit of God. And then Joel said, someday it will happen, even the young girls, even the slaves, even the old men, everybody, not 70 elders, not just the prophets among you, but everybody will have the Spirit of God poured out in their life in a powerful way. And he says, listen, we're here today and we're fishermen and we're tax collectors and we're carpenters. We're weird things. We're zealots. We're, stri- we're from a variety of different people groups inside of Israel. And we're all gathered, 12 disciples and other people watching or 11 disciples. And we're gathered because there's this deep thing going on in us that we can't even explain. But God has predicted it. And all we can say is Moses prayed for it. Joel prophesied it. And today it came true. Fast forward, what nobody's sure of in that point is that it actually extends to the alternate ethnic groups. How many of you are 100% Jewish? Wow, lots of you. There's not one hand raised, right? But let me tell you, the day of Pentecost was, well, it had all of these different culture groups. It was all of these people from different parts of the world, but they were all Jewish. They were all ethnic Jews gathering from Europe and Asia and North Africa. They came together for this one kind of service and yet they were all jewish and what was not yet true is that god had moved among what people in that day called the gentiles right but then a few chapters later in acts there's this moment where god actually has a a a moment with peter alone and he's actually in the upstairs in this apartment and he's had this whole thing happen and a tent lowers from heaven and on it are these crazy animals Animals that no Jewish people who's committed to kosher eating, you know, that means no pigs and no fish without scales, no lobsters, no bunch of things. It's a long list. And those things are lowered out of heaven and there's voice and Peter's imagination starts to speak and says, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, I've never broken the the kosher laws of Israel in my whole life. I'm a fisherman and I caught fish with scales and I saw all those crawdads crawling around the Sea of Galilee but I never ate one because they're illegal. And God said, kill and eat. And he said it again and he repeated himself and they went back and forth until the point where God convinces Peter of something that changes the world so much that most of the New Testament is written about this, and that's that God didn't just call Jewish people, and he, just didn't, he didn't just call Jewish men. He called all sorts of people, including women, including Russians and Italians and Greeks and people from parts of the world that had not yet been discovered by the West. He says all of these people are called together, and my spirit is going to pour out on anybody who my spirit is going to pour out on. Get ready, Peter. And Peter has to go to bat for that. They actually go back and forth, he and Paul, and they end up convincing the church in Jerusalem and convincing the church of the known world that God is doing this amazing new thing. And it takes an imaginative moment with Peter on the roof of an apartment building for that to happen. So let me just tell you a story. I was a freshman at Moody Bible Institute. I was 18 years of age, and I came from a Baptist church. And at Moody Bible Institute, which I still have tremendous respect for, people hear God, walk with God there. It's an amazing place. And in my, stu- in my church growing up, we had, we had an amazing church growing up. It was, it was a church plant and a lot of things were going on. But I'll tell you what wasn't going on is if you ever said, I hear something that nobody else hears or if I see something that nobody else sees, you were thought to be, what was that word you used? Crazy. You were thought to be crazy. And we had a we had a prayer meeting. We started to experiment with prayer. Now I had prayed my whole life, and I had prayed every morning when I get up. God bless me, you know. I knew the Lord's Prayer, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Those sorts of lines were all about my life, all throughout my life and my childhood. But we started in the end of my freshman year uh, to seriously uh, consider prayer as something that maybe God wanted to use in our lives. And we started to pray. And I remember a group of us, we are on the ninth floor of this high-rise building in Chicago, and a group of us met for prayer one night. We started to just give time each evening to prayer, and we were praying. And I didn't know what to do with this. All of a sudden, I realized we were supposed to move dorm rooms. And it was a big deal. Something happened in my heart. I felt it. It was this pure something, something different. It's like, why? Moody only had two guys' dorms. One had two-person rooms and one had three-person rooms. And I, I, okay, I need a new dorm room, you know, big deal. How many of you have moved houses in your adult life? Everybody pretty much moves, right? We all do this. We move. And so I said, I, I looked at my roommate. and I said, we got to move. And he said, okay, why? And then we started to talk about it. I said, I don't know. I have this feeling and it's a, it's a gut level something. I pictured us in Dreyer Hall as opposed to Culbertson Hall. I had this picture in my brain and it was these dorm rooms and I never liked those dorm rooms. They're kind of ugly. They're too tall and they had weird furniture. <laughs> This so is my thought. I'm 18 years of age. I'm not, there's no, nothing saying I'm a spiritually mature person. Nobody should have trusted me with a church. Nobody should have trusted me with their daughter. Nobody should have trusted me at all. 18 years of age, and the God of the universe shows up. And in this prayer meeting, he convinces me to move. And so we move. And my cousin and I were roommates, so we moved together. And we said, okay, well, who should we move with? And I, I kind of thought about that. I said, no, that's part of it. We're not allowed to know who that third roommate's going to be. Some of you have heard this story. You know who that third roommate was? Tim Deering. He was coming in as a freshman. I had never been to Pottstown, Pennsylvania in my life. I'd been to Philadelphia once when I was eight. I had no idea there was a Tim in the world, and I thought his name, when I saw it, should have been pronounced Deering because he pronounces it wrong. Just tell Jay I said that. How do you, D-O-E-R-I-N-G, and it's Deering, you know? But I, that was our freshman roommate. And and that whole year, I got to tell you, I mean, if you would have told Tim and I that we would have known each other 10 years from then, we would have been surprised because we are not people who should ever live in the same house with each other, let alone the same dorm room. And yet God put us in that dorm room and it's not because we were best buddies, it's because God had something planned. And we knew it. We, we kind of grew in that conviction. I told Tim that story after a year. I didn't tell him right up front, but I told him a year later. And, and we started to pray about that. He said, okay, well, we'll pray. And we, he had had some experiences like that. I hadn't had none like that. And we started to pray about what God would have for our lives. Well, I graduated in 1998, and I was working. I didn't know what to do again, you know. Kids in their early 20s, I don't want to pick on, there might be mature, good kids in their early 20s. I, again, wasn't one of those. And at 21 years of age, I I got this job, graduated from Moody and got a job as as a carpenter's helper. And I worked at the Whirlpool plant in South Haven, Michigan, and I was unloading all of this scrap lumber. And God just started to grab a hold of me. Uh, it was in another one of those moments when we started to pray and we started to read the word. And there was all of this kind of conviction in our church at that moment that we needed to really grow. That was my church in Michigan. And, and I started to picture this stuff. And I'll tell you, twice in college I had come back here. One of them I actually went to a love feast at Parker Ford Church of the Brethren, believe it or not. And Jay made me go, for the record. And I came down that turnpike and ended up here twice. And I always thought, this is a crazy place to live. I mean, honestly, if you're from the Midwest and you drive into Pottstown, Pennsylvania, it doesn't look normal. It, it, it just it fits all sorts of weird things. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to a, a Midwestern mind. But I, came, I, I was in this whirlpool plant, and I was praying as I was lifting up all this wood, and God all of a sudden just grabbed a hold of my imagination. And I had all these pictures. I don't. I, I still don't know what to do with it. I was 21, 22 years of age. This was 1999, February of 99. I still remember, and I was, I was, you know, just like, what do I do with this? And the pictures, literally, are of Route 724. I can still remember them. Route 724. That's, you know, how many hundred yards from here, right? You can actually uh, walk to Route 724 from Parker Ford Church in no time. And I, I was like, okay. And I I started to talk with the Lord about this, just kind of what am I supposed to do? Now, these are not every day. These things did not happen to me every week, every month, even every year. But God started to grab a hold of this thing. And my imagination was just kind of flowing, right? And I realized I was supposed to move to Potsdam, Pennsylvania. That was it. I, I felt just absolutely sure of all things. Like you do when you wake up from a dream and there's somebody in the dream and you know who they are and you don't know how you know. You ever have that experience where you're like, I just know that I know because it's like the narrator told you? It's like the narrator broke into my imagination and said, this is where you're supposed to be, February of 1999. Well, I said, in the church I grew up in, things like this were thought to be as crazy. And I told God I had one line. This is true. You know, Gideon had his fleece. Remember Gideon's fleece? he put it out before God. If you want me to go to battle, put that fleece out there. And if it's wet and the ground around it's dry, well, then I'll do it. And then it happens. And he says, well, okay, make the ground wet and the fleece dry. And if it happens and the next night, it happens in reverse. He actually gets it to go both ways. So I had a thought. I was like, okay, God, if this is true and I'm not crazy, because I don't have enough self-confidence to believe I'm not crazy. Anybody would call me nuts. I would have agreed with him at this point. I said, well, if I'm not crazy and God is actually calling me to do something, you need to tell somebody. And I was thinking on the long list of people who I could ask God to communicate with who would that be and I decided my mom so I waited three days I never said a word and my mom finally came to me and she said what's going on with you something's different something's weird I said I, I don't know I know you know we had this whole conversation it was a Sunday afternoon in her kitchen and I started telling her. I said I think God just talked to me she said no nah, what I started to tell her the experience, and she said, okay. And I said, listen, I know I might be crazy, so if I am, I want you to know that you can just tell me I'm crazy and I won't do this. But if I'm not, I've asked God to do one thing, and that's that he's supposed to tell you too. And I don't want you to be convinced by me. So this isn't going to be one of those sell jobs. You know what I mean? I'm not going to act like a Kirby salesman or a a used car salesman. I'm just going to say, Mom, if you think I should do this, by all means, you come to me and tell me. And I waited a week. Then I waited a second week. I thought, Wow, I'm gonna get off the hook. I'm gonna stay in Michigan. It's gonna be nice. The economy's easier in Michigan. Life is a little bit more chilled, you know, it's not all crazy like the East Coast. I thought, I'm gonna live my whole life out here. And then all of a sudden at this church service, my, <laughs> my mom, God got a hold of her. She came to me at the end of it and she's just weeping and crying and she said, Something in my head just changed and God told me, You're supposed to move to Pennsylvania. I don't know what to do with stories like that. Do you? I mean, honestly, you read the scriptures and they happen, you know, they're prophesied in Joel and they happen in Numbers and they happen in Acts. And frankly, they happen in a whole lot of the Bible. But when the Bible jumps off of the page and it starts to move in our life and it says, listen, I want you to hear my voice personally for you you got to do it in community. You've got to do it with other people. This doesn't mean you stop going to church and start stop being led by the leaders in your life, but you've you, you got to, you, God does this. You know, God built our church over the last six years. What he's done here was built on those words. many other words like that, by the way. I'm just telling you my words. And there are many other ones that I had to listen to that I didn't hear. Somebody else heard. I heard one a few weeks ago I want to tell you about, and it's a lot more... I'll call it more docile. You know, Shirley Elliott has been fighting cancer, and there was this moment, Ron, right, when she actually thought about whether she should continue with chemo or not. It started to really hurt her body. She was sick, and I I prayed about what to say. Nancy came to me, her daughter, and said, you need to actually, we need to talk with her because she's going to quit chemo. And I said, well, is this one of those things where her white blood cell count has gotten low enough where she should quit? No, 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 her white blood cell count is good. I said, okay, well, I'll pray about what to say to your mom. I don't know. You know, She has a doctor. Why would she talk to her pastor about her medical things? But I prayed, and I really felt the Lord just kind of impress on me, this thought. And the thought was this. This is the one thought I had. And I just got a kind of a, a, a little picture in my soul, and that's that Parker Ford Church needs Shirley Elliott. And, and it impressed on my soul to the moment. I actually had some tears going down my eyes. I love Shirley. She yells at me. I don't know if you know this, but she yells at me like nobody else in our church and I just have this deep care for her. And she yells at me in a benevolent spirit. We've just had a great friendship. She and I used to play cards in 2000 when I lived here. There's this card playing group of, 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 of people. I was the only person under 50. And I was the only male person that was invited. I don't know how I got invited to this. But Shirley used to invite me to play cards. We used to play canasta, of all things. Uh, Shirley and I and Jenny High and a bunch of people. And anyway, so I, I, I really got this sense that God is not done with Shirley. Shirley's over 80 years of age, and not to put too fine a point on it, but you don't know when somebody's diagnosed with cancer and they're an octogenarian. You just don't know. And I prayed, and I thought, I don't think this is it. So I went, and I sat next to and Shirley was in bed, and she couldn't get up, and I sat down next to her in bed like this, and I looked at her, and I just said, Shirley, I want to tell you something. And she said, okay, and she had to put her hearing aid in to hear me at all. <laughs> and we had this conversation, and I said, I just want you to know we've got a lot of young people joining Parker Ford Church, and you heard Josh Hostetter talking about this. They're having babies, and our nursery is exploding. Our second service is bigger than it's ever been. This is all great. And you're going to be tempted to think that you're not important because we have all of these young people moving up from the bottom, and so the top end can start to gravitate away. And I said, that's not true. We need you. I said, I don't know how I know that, but I prayed and God just really wants you to be a part of this. And not just so you're blessed, but because we need people that are, that are a blessing to that younger generation. And you're a big part of that, Shirley. And she said, okay, I'll fight. That was it. That was the whole conversation. She just looked at me. and She said, okay, fine. I'll take my chemo. I'll fight. And I talked to Nancy the next day and she said, what did you say to her? It actually worked. Now, Shirley's not here this morning, right? Nobody's allowed to tell her I'm telling this story. You're sworn to secrecy, which of course means somebody can tell her, and that's fine. But anyway... A couple weeks down the road, and she's actually done with chemo, but she's so sick that now Shirley's just, she can't even sit up in bed. And she's laying on her side. And the Elliots have given me the permission to actually just break into your house. (laughs) I felt awkward the first time I do it. But nobody's there but Shirley. So Ron's mowing the lawn or whatever. Nancy's away at work. And I would just go into the house. And she was in an upstairs bedroom, and she would lay there. And I I always thought she was going to, I mean, call the cops or something, you know, because she's laying in bed like this and she'd open her eyes and there I'd be, you know, and I'd, my face would be looking at her face like this and she got done with chemo and I showed up that week in her house and I would prayed for her every week. We talked repeatedly and I showed up and I looked at her and she, she said, I'm done with my chemo. And I said, I know. And I just want to tell you on behalf of all the young people at Parker Ford Church who I know God wants you to have in their life, I, I want you to know I'm really thankful that you decided to fight. And that you didn't give up. I just want you to know, for, on behalf of Parker Ford Church, this is one of those things where I, I signed my name on it. You know what I mean? Like a document, a formal document of our church. I signed my name and said, we need Shirley Elliot still. I want you to know, thank you. And I, I was crying. I don't know if she was crying, but I was crying because I thought, this is it. She made it. And she's done better every week since. She's doing great. She, she might come today, right? Second service. She might actually be here for the first time in weeks. That's, that's a moment when God grabbed a hold of my imagination. Just a little picture. You have this stuff happening in your life if you're walking with the Spirit. And some of you are tempted to think it's not of God. Others of you are tempted to think that's just, you know, it's something crazy that you got going on. Others of you are just like, you're programmed to, to tune that out. What I want to do to close the service is to pray for you. Because what we need is not a couple of priests or a few pastors. What we need is a church filled with people who listen to the spirit of God, who walk in their imagination and who listen to what God has called. And all the way back to Moses, God has been building this drumbeat of information where he wants to move inside of individual people's life. And he wants to use them in a community together in a submissive way. Not everybody doing their own crazy thing, but everybody working together to hear the voice of God. And we actually have to listen. To get there right it 's incredibly important that we always walk in the word. God never denies what he 's written in his scripture if it 's written down that's that 's it right and he 's not adding to that book, but he is definitely adding to our lives direction, and people need to know when you when you study the great missions movement of history, you find out that people end up in India and China and all over the world, and they don 't end up there just because they read the scripture. they end up there because they read the scripture, they pray, and then they listen. And God blesses them with some moment imaginatively where they realize that they're called to this country and not to that one, that they're called to this movement of people and not to that movement of people. When you study the great evangelists or you study the great pastors of our history, most of them are the product of some moment like this where God invaded somebody's imagination. It might not have even been theirs, but maybe it was their mother's. You know, Jim Dobson, who founded Focus on the Family, his dad wanted to be a great evangelist. And one day God just said, you're not gonna, he's a Nazarene guy. They're not famous for listening to God this way. But, but he said, you're not going to be a great evangelist. <laughs> God just said, God, in, in, in Jim Dobson's dad's mind, he heard, you're not going to be a great evangelist. What do you mean I'm not going to be a great evangelist? You're not. Your kid. I'm going to do something through your child. You have one child. I want you to pray one hour a day for that son. And every day, Jim Dobson's dad gave his lunch hour to praying for his one kid. And what God did through that man was absolutely amazing. You can study person after person after person throughout history that God moved in this way, moved in somebody's imagination, and then set out to do this amazing work. And it started with something that didn't seem absolutely all that shocking. And yet it required a person who listened to the word of God, who prayed, and then who listened and then stepped out into whatever they're called to do in faith. Maybe they prayed differently. Maybe they spoke a word. Maybe they acted differently. But whatever it is, they took it seriously, and they said, this is what God has called me to. Parker Ford Church is built on people who have had little words like this. Rosella, where are you? I love the story of Rosella Latchhow. We'll close with this. I didn't ask your permission for this. No, I didn't. <laughs> you can see she's a little unhappy with me. We'll talk after the service. But, you know, God, you wanted to marry a pastor, right? That's right. And she messed up royally. She married a hardware store clerk. That's what Bob called himself. And for years, they lived like that as a family filled with people, you know, hardware store clerk, faithful wife, faithful family, went to church, grew a lovely family, three-fourths of whom are here this morning, and all of this different stuff. And then in 1968, God called Bob Latchaw to be the pastor of this church. And nobody was more surprised by that than Bob. My rendition of that story is that God was always talking to Rosella, that she was supposed to marry a pastor. She just didn't know what that looked like, right? God used Rosella's imagination as a young woman and eventually changed our church and provided leadership through that imagination and kept her praying all those years to the place where Bob was the pastor of this church for 40 years. Isn't that amazing? When you see God move in these little imaginations, big things transpire. I wish we had more time to talk about all of the renditions of this, all of the ways it work. You can read the scriptures. You can talk to me personally. We have all sorts of ways, and this whole series is about the voice of God moving. But until you're well, willing to quiet your soul, shut off the television, do, stop reading whatever it is that entertains you, and just spend time listening to God, you're going to miss some things in your life. And quite frankly, our church is probably going to miss some things that God wants to do through your life. And maybe our region is going to miss some things. And maybe there are those people who would be transformed into evangelistic ministry or this or that, missions movement. We don't know what God would do until we shut it all off and listen and say, God, here's my imagination. The book of Revelation is written from the perspective of somebody who said, I am in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I'm I'm not even in church. I can't even hear all these people. I'm set aside from everything going on. And my imagination is captive because it's all I have left, so I'm going to make it captive, not just to this island that John was exiled to, the island of Patmos, but rather he was going to he's give it to God. And in that moment, we get a whole book of the Bible, the last book of the Bible, amazing gift to the church because John listened. What would God do through you if you listened this year? What does God want to speak in you, through you, from you, towards us? What what does God want me to hear from you? What does God want to do in our community through your imagination if you are willing to listen to God? Join me in prayer. Father, we come before you and you are so good. And many of us are scared to put ourselves out there like this. Others of us are scared that if we open the floodgates and we hear you move through such and such a person that we're going to all have to listen and do that right away, which means that we're going to have chaos and craziness and who knows what might happen. We'd feel safer in just doctrines. And the truth is the great doctrines of the church, they don't change. None of this will alter what we know about you and your unchanging character. None of it will change the fact that Jesus literally rose from the dead and literally died on the cross. None of it will change what we hear written in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John or through the words of Paul. But all of it adds up into our lives being not just people who gain from that doctrinally or in beliefs, but we actually gain from it by living within a story that is still active and your spirit is still moving and our lives are still very, very valuable to what your kingdom is all about. You've chosen to partner with human beings like us. What do we do with that, God? You've chosen to honor us with your voice in our lives. And that's a little bit dangerous. We would, we would wish that you would just use Moses and David and Paul and John and not actually jump off the page and decide that you want to use Parker Ford Church and people who are normal people, hardware cl- store clerks and cashiers and gas station attendants and plumbers and doctors and lawyers, whatever it might be, you want to use us. We would prefer that you would just help your kingdom to move forward without us and what our decisions would be. We would rather they not actually make as big a difference as they actually seem to. And yet you keep telling us that we matter to you and that you want to use us and that you want to partner with us and you want us to walk with your son. You want us to listen and follow the leading of of a spirit who's very much present. So God, this morning we would pray that you would just blow the roof off of this church. Help us to dream and to listen and to imagine what the Spirit of God would do if we gave you full reign in our lives. Help us to hear your voice and whatever that would look like and whatever it would call us to. And forgive us for the fact that you have been a far larger, probably far more dangerous and yet far more loving God than we've ever thought. Help us to walk in the midst of your presence, loving every bit of what you give to us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.